So we are in Genesis chapter number 28. Uh, just as a uh, quick review, we are doing a high-level overview of the book of Genesis chapter by chapter. So we're covering a chapter uh, every week. <clears throat> Last time we had uh, Genesis chapter number 27, we saw the dysfunctional family, uh, <clears throat> Isaac and Rebekah uh, had two sons, Esau and Jacob. Uh, they showed favoritism. Uh, Esau was um, Isaac's favorite, and Jacob was uh, Rebekah's favorite, and that was obvious uh, to the boys. Uh, so Isaac thought that his uh, life was coming to an end, so he called Esau and had him uh, go out and uh, kill uh, venison and prepare it for him so that he could bless him before he died. Uh, Jacob, uh, at uh, his mother's request, uh, went in and tricked Isaac into blessing him, saying that he was Esau. Uh, Esau came back, got very, very angry, and um, <clears throat> threatened to kill uh, Jacob as soon as his father died. So, in response to that, we ended up chapter number 27. Um, in verse number 43, um, <clears throat> Rebekah said, uh, Therefore, my son, obey my voice, and arise, flee thou to Laban, my brother, to Haran, and tarry with him a few days, until thy brother's fury turn away, until thy brother's anger turn away from thee, and he forget that which thou hast done to him. Then I will send and fetch thee from thence why should I be deprived also of you both in one day and Rebekah said to Isaac I am very weary of my life because of the daughters of Heath if Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heath such as these which are of the daughters of the land what good shall my life be to me <clears throat> so Rebekah here uh, wanted Isaac <clears throat> I mean wanted Jacob to go to her brother uh, in Haran, and to make that happen, she goes to Isaac once again, and is not 100% honest with him, uh, and says that she doesn't want uh, Jacob to take a wife of the Canaanite women uh, to send him to uh, her brother. So that's where we pick up here in chapter number 28. <clears throat> the first thing we're going to see in verse 1 down through verse number 9 is Jacob's departure. And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padanaram, <clears throat> to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters. Now, I don't, if you'll remember back a few chapters ago, Bethuel is uh, not alive. He, he passed away. Uh, several years ago because when uh, Abraham sent the servant to find Isaac's bride, Rebekah, uh, the servant actually did not even speak to Bethuel because he was dead at the time. Uh, he uh, spoke to Laban. So Laban was Rebekah's brother, so that's the one that did the negotiations. So when he says go to the house of, house of Bethuel, he's talking about that family, uh, and he said, uh, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. So 
Isaac agrees with Rebekah and agrees to send uh, Jacob out uh, to find a wife uh, of the family. Now, this is real important. We're going to see here uh, in a second uh, what, how Ishmael reacted. Uh, I mean, how Esau reacted. Uh, but we talked a little bit about the purity of the line and how the promises to Abraham did not flow to the firstborn, which was tradition. Uh, God does not always go by tradition. Uh, God has his own way of doing things. When God looks at us, he did, he did not see as man saw. Man saw the firstborn son as the one that inherits the everything. Uh, God looks at not on the outward appearance, not on a man's stature, not on the order of his birth, but he looks upon the heart. He looks on the inside. So that's why that uh, even though Ishmael was the firstborn, uh, the uh, line of Christ, the promises of God flowed through Isaac because Ishmael was not of pure blood. He was born, his mother was a... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, an Egyptian, <clears throat> an unbeliever. So the, the line of Jesus Christ had to be pure. It couldn't have Canaanites in it. It couldn't have impure blood. <clears throat> so uh, that's why that we see here the importance. If uh, Jacob had taken a wife uh, of the people of, of Heath, of Canaan, then he would have uh, made his line impure. So this was all according to the hand of God. Uh, so a couple of things. Isaac calls for Jacob and does two things. He blesses him and then he charges him. So what was the blessing? The first blessing was given under the veil of deceit, but now Isaac gives the proper blessing willingly unto Jacob. And the charge, Isaac gives a charge or, or a command that Jacob should not marry a Canaanite woman as Esau did. Isaac tells Jacob to find a wife among the daughters of Laban. Uh, and we saw back in Genesis chapter number 24, Rebekah had a brother and his name was Laban. And Laban ran out to the man unto the well. Uh, then in verse number 3, Isaac continues blessing him and and. Uh, Verse number three, and God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee that thou mayest be a multitude of people and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger which God gave <clears throat> unto Abraham. So we got to understand as we talked about last time, Isaac did not have the power his blessing was not the one that Jacob needed. Even though Jacob and Rebekah, through uh, dishonesty and deceit, tricked Isaac into giving Jacob the blessing, we talked about how that the blessing of Isaac is not what made Jacob uh, the man that he was. <clears throat> Eventually, his name was changed to Israel. He had 12 sons, which is the 12 tribes of Israel. All the Jews come from the line of Jacob. So Jacob's bloodline, Jacob's life was not blessed because of the uh, blessing that Isaac gave. 
his life was blessed because of the blessing that God gave. He needed God's blessing more than he needed man's blessing. Had Isaac not blessed Jacob, Isaac could have given any blessing he wanted to to Esau. The bloodline still would have come through Jacob because Esau's bloodline was already corrupted because he took Canaanite wives. <clears throat> so the whole trickery and deceit here uh, was not necessary. But here, Isaac identifies. Isaac knows that the promises of God cannot go through his favored son Esau because Esau took Canaanite wives. So he knew that Canaanites, uh, he knew that Esau's bloodline was corrupted. Uh, so as much as it pained him to say it, he had to acknowledge that the promises of Abraham or promises of God to Abraham would actually flow uh, through Jacob. So here's where he acknowledges that. Um, verse number five, and Isaac sent away Jacob and he went to Padanaram unto Laban, son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. Um, you know, I think it's interesting in verse number five, uh, he <clears throat> really goes into detail <laughs> about who Laban was. It was, you know, uh, he was the son of Bethuel. He was Rebekah's brother. Uh, who was Jacob and Esau's mother. It's like, yeah, we get it. But he made <laughs> a specific point. Uh, you know, I am a firm believer that uh, God inspired these men to write things in a certain way uh, for a specific reason. Now, I don't really know why that in verse number five it had to be so specific, but it's important. That's all I know. If it wasn't important, he wouldn't have been that specific. All right, verse number six. When Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padanaram to take him a wife from thence, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and was gone to Padanaram. And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then went Esau unto Ishmael and took unto the wives which he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife. So here uh, Esau wants to do everything he can to please Isaac because he loves Isaac and Isaac loves him. Uh, Esau was Isaac's favored son. Uh, Jacob was favored by Rebekah. So the interesting thing is, it shouldn't have come as a surprise to Esau <laughs> that he wasn't supposed to take a wife uh, of the Canaanites. Uh, but now here he sees, okay, Jacob stole my blessing. Now my father's given him another blessing and sending him to get a wife uh, of uh, Laban so he says well I'll do the same thing because he wants to please his father now some people say that he was worried about pleasing his parents his mother and his father but I kind of disagree with that a little bit because if you'll see in verse number 8 and Esau seeing that the daughters of Canaan please not Isaac his father he, didn't, he wasn't too concerned about how his mother felt about things. 
He wasn't concerned about gaining his mother's favor. He was 100% concerned about gaining his father's favor. John Phillips in the notes says, Isaac was no longer speaking as a parent, but as a patriarch. And the spirit of illumination and inspiration was upon him. Uh, he set before Jacob the truth of a productive life, uh, the trust of the patriarchal line, and the title of the promised land. What Isaac wanted for his tough-minded, difficult, and willful boy was what every spiritually-minded father wants for his child. He wanted to see Jacob married to a believer, and he wanted to see him walking in the ways of the Lord. Jacob's departure from home then was a matter of immense importance. Um, I forgot uh, to read uh, the opening thing in the notes, uh, so let me go back and get that really quickly. As now we move past Isaac, so this chapter is kind of a uh, transition from the life of Isaac into the life of Jacob. Uh, let's look back at the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've been through 14 chapters dealing with Abraham's life, yet Isaac's life was covered in just seven chapters. Jacob's life covers 24 chapters. The next eight chapters are focused primarily on Jacob's life, Yet the Bible still talks about Jacob all the way through Genesis chapter 49. So we're going to see basically Jacob in the mix for the entire rest of Genesis. So the majority of Genesis is um, dealing with uh, Jacob because Jacob is uh, Israel and he is the father of the Jews. Um, so what can we make of Isaac's legacy other than it was uneventful? It appears the only positive things that can be attributed to him is that as a young man, he was submissive to his father, Abraham, and that he fathered two children. He is overshadowed by Abraham's legacy and the legacy of his son, Isaac. <clears throat> All right, so here it said that Esau saw that the um, Canaanite women displeased his father, and when he saw that, he acted. Uh, he saw that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac. Uh, it seemed that he should have known that. Uh, was this yet another parenting mistake by Isaac and Rebekah? Did they fail to teach Esau and Jacob how to choose a bride and the importance of choosing a bride? There's been a lot of references made to parenting <laughs> through the last few chapters because of the parenting mistakes that we see here. Uh, parents have a responsibility to teach their children what God's expectations are. If our children make mistakes because they were not taught properly, then as parents we share in the blame and the responsibility. If Esau was properly taught by his parents, then he acted in open disobedience to God and to his parents, which would mean that the blame falls solely upon him. I, had a, I was speaking to a gentleman that I worked with several years ago, uh, and he um, actually was a Catholic, and this is what he told me. We were having a discussion one day, and he said that he was raised uh, in church, that he was raised Catholic, that his parents were very faithful to church, but that he did not go to church. He did not uh, practice Catholicism anymore. And I asked him why. 
And he said, well, uh, he said, I can't bring myself uh, to support a religion that will not let women be in leadership positions and be priests. I said, so, I said, you know that there's a heaven, you know that there's a hell. And he said, yes. And I said, because that's what your parents taught you, because they took you to church. And he said, yes. And I said, okay, well, who is teaching your children that? Now, I don't agree with the doctrine of the Catholic Church, right? But you get my point. My point is, it's his responsibility to take his children to church. And if he doesn't take them to church, it's his responsibility to teach them about the Word of God and the things of God at home. A lot of times we think as, see, we've gotten warped in our thinking in society because we think it's the public school system and the teacher's job to teach our children. And the problem with that is they want us to think that because they teach them things that we would not teach them. And they take them down a road that we would never allow it to go. I will tell you right now, most of the parents right here in the Tri-Cities, if we were in the schools and we actually heard some of the things that come out of these teachers' mouths, we would pitch a fit. So what we have done is we have handed our children over to the public school system and expected them to teach them their morals. And that's why we have a whole generation and now two generations of, of young men and young women with no morals, with, with, with no desire for God. But yet, as parents, we can't do that. But even further than that, it is not the church's job to educate our children on the things of God. Now, we have Sunday school, we have youth group, we have things. We do everything that we can, and hopefully every church does that, so that we can provide means by which uh, we can educate young men and young women and boys and girls on the Word of God and the things of God. But it cannot, the, the only lessons that they receive about the Word of God cannot only come when they're at church on Sunday school. It has to be Monday through Sunday at home every single day. As parents, we have a responsibility. It is not the church's responsibility to teach our children. It is our responsibility as parents to teach our children the, the word of God, the things of God, and the morals that come through this book. Uh, listen, and some people say, well, I don't know that much about it. Learn, <laughs> right? I mean, I'll be honest with you. You want to know who taught my sons to count? My wife and I. You want to know who taught my sons to read? My wife and I. We worked with them much more than, than they ever did at school uh, because we wanted them to know their colors. We wanted them to know their numbers. We taught them their ABCs. We sang the songs. We, we played the tapes, and we did all that kind of stuff. We watched uh, you know, TV shows that, that taught them their ABCs and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, now you'll have parents that the first time uh, their children ever hear the ABCs is when they go to kindergarten. Shame on us if we are allowing our children to grow up and the only people that they're getting taught from is the public school system. All right, this is not a knock against school teachers or the public school system. It's a point that as Christians we have the responsibility to educate our children. So here, um, whose fault was it? How did Ishmael 
not know that marrying a Canaanite woman was wrong. And why in the world did Isaac not tell him? When he was getting ready to get married, why did Isaac not go to him and say, I mean, not Ishmael, but Esau. Why did he not go to Esau and say, son, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. You need to go to Haran and you need to get a wife of uh, your mother's brother Laban. So was Esau rebellious or was it a failure of his parents to teach him? I do not know because the word of God doesn't specify that. All right. Verse number 10. Here's Jacob. uh, And now he is departing. All right, verse number 10. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. Folks, I have camped a lot. And when I was a teenager, we would go camping, and when I say we went camping as teenagers, we didn't have a camper, we didn't have a tent, we took a backpack and went in the woods, okay, and we slept on the ground. I'm an old man now, and I'm not going to sleep on the ground in the woods. I'm going to buy a camper or something, or an air mattress, but when I was young, my body could handle that, right? I just slept on the ground. I would never have made me a pillow of rocks. I took leaves and crumpled up leaves in a pile, laid my head on the leaves. Uh, I don't know the significance here of laying on rocks. I don't see how that can be remotely comfortable. I would rather lay in the dirt than lay my head on rocks. But here, he laid his head on rocks. Now, one commentator said that the reason why that he laid his head on rocks was because it was safer to do so. I guess not get bit by a scorpion or something. I don't know, but... It didn't make any sense to me. So I cannot tell you the significance of him laying on rocks. Maybe it was her tradition at the time. Uh, I think it's insane myself. I would never make a pillow out of rocks, but that's what he did. Uh, Now, he dreamed a dream, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending. And behold, the Lord stood above it. And said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So, We saw a few verses earlier that Isaac told Jacob that the blessings of God, the promises of God that were given to Abraham was going to be given to him. He knew that because he was impressed upon that by God. Uh, He was inspired by God. But we have to understand the blessings, uh, the promises of Abraham did not flow to Jacob because Isaac said so. Isaac predicted that or foresaw that through the uh, power of the Holy Spirit of God revealing that to him. But here, God shows up and he tells Jacob, 
You see, the fact that God told Jacob is what's important, not the fact that Isaac told Jacob. Isaac had no power to say who God's promises would flow through. It was 100% by the hand of God. So here God reveals himself unto Jacob. Now here's the thing. When Isaac sent, this, I mean when uh, Abraham sent his servant to Haran to find Isaac a bride, he sent with him there were horses, there were camels, there were servants, there was this big group of people, there was all these gifts and jewels and everything else to get her to come back and the servant went and found Rebekah, gave her all these gifts, gave her family gifts and paid them and brought her back uh, to Isaac. Now here's Jacob doing the same thing. Isaac didn't send a servant. Okay, so why didn't Isaac send a servant? Because it was kind of important that Jacob leave because he was going to die. <laughs> His brother was going to kill him, right? So here we, here we have Jacob, the father of all of Israel. And he is on this journey alone, without any friends, without any family, with no servants, with no jewels, with no money. And he is 100% alone by himself, Sleeping on rocks. You ever been in a similar situation in your life? Where it seems like you got no friends, you got nobody, you're running for your life, your brother's going to kill you, your father's mad at you, your mother loves you but she wants you to go away, right? And then you're out there, you're completely alone, you got no money, you got nothing. But you know what happened when Jacob was at his lowest point that he'd ever been at in his life? That's when God showed up. And folks, when we get to that point, when we get to that low point, when we got no friends, everything in our life is turned upside down, that's when God will show up and God will make a difference. Here's what you got to understand about Jacob. Jacob knew about God. He was taught about God. He was taught about Abraham. He was taught about the promises of Abraham. But this changed his life. Because he had never met God face to face. And here, God shows up and he meets God and it changes his life. He was a deceitful, conniving person that was trying to cheat a blessing and was all about trying to get ahead. And now his life completely changes. So let's look and see how his life changes. The most important thing was not... Uh, that God said that he would have the blessings of Abraham and the promises of Abraham and, and uh, the land, uh, <clears throat> the promised land. But notice also in verse number 14, this is what God said, Thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. Listen, there are Jews that have spread all across the entire planet on every continent, in every country. God's word came true. <clears throat> now, verse number 15. This is the, in my opinion, verse number 15 is the most important thing that God says to Jacob. He said, and. So he gave Abraham promises. And then God said that those promises went to Isaac because God told Isaac that. 
Now God told Jacob that, but he added something to it. He said, And, behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places, whether thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. God promised Jacob, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, but I'll go with you all the way and I'll bring you back to this land and this land will be yours for an inheritance. And folks, God told you and I the exact same thing. Jesus Christ laid down his life on the cross and he said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I'll go with you all the way and we're going to go to heaven one day, not on our own merit, not because we deserve it, but because God will take us back to the promised land and we, he will usher us into the gates of heaven and we will get there not because we deserve it, not because we earned it, but because God promised it. Now Jacob makes mistakes in his life. He does things wrong. But God's promises will come to pass irregardless because God cannot break a promise. So when I read verse number 15, I get excited. I'm glad that God didn't just say, I'm going to save you, Terry. He said, I'm going to save you. But he said, then I'm going to walk every step of this life with you. I'm going to be there no matter what happens, no matter who hates you, no matter what happens to you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Thank God for His promises that He's given us in His Word. Now, this is what changed these verse 13 down through verse number 14 or 15 completely changed Jacob's life. Jacob woke up, he waked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. You ever been there? I've been there. I, I, there there's times when... I went out to the woods to, to go camping or something and God showed up and me and God had a good time. I didn't know God was there. I didn't know God was going to meet me there but lo and behold, He showed up. There's been times I've been at the house minding my own business, not thinking about God, but the Holy Spirit of God shows up and God blesses me like He's never blessed me before right there in my house. God will show up and God will bless us when we least expect it. And Jacob said, God is in this place and I didn't even know it. And he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. Now, people get confused when it said that he was afraid and he said it was dreadful. Well, God showed up, scared Jacob to death, and he dreaded it. That's not what it means at all, folks. What it means, listen, am I afraid of God? You better believe it. And you should be afraid of God too. I'm not afraid of God because I think he's going to get me, because I think he's going to punish me, or because I think he's going to send me to hell. I am in awe of God. I have a holy fear of God. The holiness of God makes me concerned. There are times whenever I come to church and I'm sitting right here on this pew and the Holy Spirit of God shows up in this place and I want to say something, I want to do something, but I'm very careful because I do not want to mess up what the Holy Spirit of God is doing in this place. I have a holy reverence for this place, for the sanctuary of God and for the Holy Spirit of God. And we should have that. Listen, too many Christians today have no fear of God. And we should fear God. 
not be afraid of him, but we should fear the awesomeness and the holiness of an almighty God. He's not my buddy. He's not my friend. He's my God. He's my Lord. And he's my Savior. Now, I make jokes sometimes to my wife, right? When she's worried about the weather or we're going to have a family reunion or we're going to have a cookout and she's worried, oh, it might rain. I said, it's not going to rain, right? Not that I know. I just want to believe, right? The the weather's going to have to prove me wrong on Saturday morning when it rains and rains out our barbecue, okay? But I will tell her in joking, I'll say, it's not going to rain. Everything's going to be fine. How do you know that? I got friends in high places. I know people. That's what I tell her. I know people. I know the guy that controls that, right? And I'm just joking. But listen, folks, he's not my friend. He's not my buddy. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's a holy God, and we should reverence him and be in awe of him, and it should be a dreadful... What does the Bible say? Okay, Jacob said it was the dreadful place. The Word of God says... that it is not good to be in the hands of an angry God. So we should reverence God, we should honor God, and we should count Him as holy. Now, verse number 18. Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. Now, in the Word of God... There are certain things that are symbolic and representative. <clears throat> so anytime that you see the oil, okay, uh, the Word of God tells us that if there's any sick among you, let them come to the elders of the church, and they shall pray over them, lay in hands, anoint them with oil, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. We do that. We believe that. We trust in God's Word. The, the, the power of healing is not in the little bottle of oil that we anoint with. What it is is symbolic. What is oil symbolic of? Oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit of God. So whenever we anoint people with oil, what we're doing is we are anointing them with the Holy Spirit of God because that's the symbolism. So here, this becomes now a holy place. So Jacob recognizes this as a holy place. He takes those things that were his pillow those stones, and he sets them up for a pillar, for a monument, and he pours oil on them. He anoints that as a holy place. He anoints that as the Spirit of God dwells here. And then he changed the name of the place. He said, and he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was called Luz at first. So he was just outside this place that was called Luz. But he named it Bethel, okay? So what does Bethel mean? I want to look at my notes so I don't misquote it. Um, Verse 19. Bethel means house of God or place of God. So that's why Jacob... Now, the town after this, the name was changed. After that, it was called Bethel. But here, it was at first called Luz. Bethel was the place that God showed up to Jacob. Now, it changed Jacob's life uh, in, a, in a great way because God made him promises and God showed him that he was real. This is the thing. We are not told before this time that Jacob ever created an altar, that he ever worshiped God. But here, after he met God, he worshiped him. You know, I may not have ever worshiped God, 
before I got saved. But I met God one day. And that changed my life. And I've been worshiping Him ever since. Because I was taught about God. I was taught about the Holy Spirit. I was taught about Jesus Christ. But it didn't become real to me until the day that I met Him. And when I met Him at an altar, and I, and I asked for forgiveness, and I asked the Holy Spirit of God to come into my heart, and the Holy Spirit entered my heart and my soul, it changed me. So folks, what I will say this morning, and I've said it many times before, people that you have to understand, if God saved you, if you got what I got, if the Holy Spirit of God lives within your heart, you're going to know it. <laughs> a life-changing event like that doesn't take place and say, well, I think I'm saved. I might be saved. Listen, if you think and might be, you better get up here on the altar and get it right with God. Okay? Because when I got married, okay, it changed my life. Now, if you say, are you married? I don't say, well, I think I'm married. I might be married. I know I'm married. And if I forget it, she reminds me. <laughs> okay? Sometimes, men, we forget it, don't we? Sometimes we think we can do whatever we want, whenever we want, because we're a grown man. Wrong. <laughs> I do whatever I want as long as I want what my wife wants me to do. So I will just ask her what I want, and she tells me, and then I do what I want. <laughs> but it's a life-changing event. Now, verse number 20. This is the difference that it made in Jacob's life. And Jacob vowed a vow. Just uh, as a side note, this is the first time, of course we're just in Genesis chapter 28, but this is the first time that the Bible mentions anybody vowing a vow. So this is the first vow that was made that is recorded anyway. Jacob vowed a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and I will give and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. Now, <clears throat> I am not saying that the word of God is not accurate because it is. But sometimes the way that the translators translated it from uh, here Hebrew. Uh, into English, sometimes the way it was translated, because listen, folks, translating something from one language to another is difficult because words mean different things in different languages, and that can be uh, a challenge. But what we have to understand here in verse 20, Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God be with me. Now, what he means by that, he wasn't putting a condition on it. Well, if God's with me, I'll serve him. That's not what he meant. The word if is better understood if we say since. So get it. Uh, uh, look at it this way. Jacob said, since God will be with me, and since he will keep me in this way that I go, and since he will give me bread to eat, and since he will give me raiment to put on, and since he's going to that I will come again to my father's house in peace. He said, then shall the Lord be my God. 
He said, because that God has made me the promise that He's going to be with me, because He's going to be with me, He's going to give me all this, He's going to bring me back to my Father's house in peace, and I'm going to give you a glimpse into the future. That's exactly what He does. At some point, He's reunited with His brother, and I can't wait till we get to that part of the story, because it is funny. <laughs> How that he reunites with Esau. He, he, a grown man, years later, he's still scared to death of his brother Esau. Why? Because his brother Esau was a big bad dude. Okay, He went out and killed animals and did all kinds of stuff. He was big and he was tough and he was strong and Jacob was afraid of him. Okay, But here he says, since God made me this promise, he said, he will be my God. So why do I serve God today? Because I'm afraid of it. I'm afraid if I don't come to church that God's going to get me. I'm afraid if I don't read my Bible, God's going to get me. I'm afraid if I don't pay my tithes, I'm going to lose my house and all that. That's not, folks, if we're serving God out of fear, we're serving God for the wrong reason. I serve God today because He saved my soul. I serve God today because He forgave my sins and He wiped the slate clean and He took all my sins and iniquities upon His shoulders and He shed His blood, a ransom for me, and made me whole and made me righteous before our Father God. That's why we serve Him. We don't serve Him so that He will do something for us. We serve Him because He did something for us. Now, verse 22, And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house, and all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Now this is the first time really that we see the tenth and the offering right here. But we have to understand. You Think about Jacob. Jacob wanted to get ahead. Okay? Jacob was willing to trick. He was willing to deceive. He was, he was willing to lie to his father to get a blessing. Because wealth and money and prosperity and power was extremely important to him as a young man. But here he met God. And all that changed. Wealth and power and prosperity was not his priority anymore. His priority was serving God. From this day forward, he said, I will serve God. He will be the Lord. The Lord will be my God. And he said, not only that, but I'm going to give a tenth of everything to God. You see... Jacob did not commit. He did not vow a vow that he was going to serve God so that he would get something from God. He did not vow that he would pay a tenth to God so that he could get something from God. He was given a tenth to God. Listen, folks. God has to be more important to us than our family. God has to be more important to us than our job. God has to be more important to us than our home. He has to be more important to us than our bank account or than our money. That's the priority. God has to be number one in our life. And at this point, this changed Jacob's life. And God took the place of preeminence in Jacob's life. John Wesley said about verse 17, He was afraid. So far was he from being puffed up. The more we see God, the more cause we see for holy trembling and blushing before him. Uh, then down at the very end, uh, we see that this verse may be better understood to say since God will be with me rather than if. Jacob was simply saying that since God will be with him always, 
Then he will vow to make him his God and will dedicate a tenth of all that he had. It's important to note that the time when Jacob made this commitment to give God a tenth of everything, he had nothing. God, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything. I've got nothing. I'm laying on rocks. He didn't have a big bank account. He didn't have money. He didn't have anything. He committed everything to God before he had anything. And that's one reason why that God blessed him because he committed everything to God. Later we will see just how much God blesses Jacob even though he gives 10% back to God. It could be said of Jacob that when God became real in his life that the things of life, possessions and wealth were not nearly as important as they were before. And I have seen that in many people's lives. What did Jesus say to the rich young ruler? He said, what do I have to do to be saved? He said, obey the commandments. He said, I've, I've done that since my youth. So then Jesus said, well, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. And said the rich young ruler was very grieved because he had a lot of wealth. See, Jesus was, not, I was speaking to a friend of mine the other day and he, he mentioned that verse to me and he said that he felt guilty because he had money and he had a good job and he retired well and he said he felt kind of guilty about it. I said, no. I said, you don't understand. I said, God said that to him because he knew that, that money and wealth was more important to him than God. I said, I know you and I know your heart and I know that your home and your wealth and your money is not more important to you than God. And I said, if it was... God would say, sell all that you have, give it to the poor. You see, we, we can't look at it and say, well, if, if we're right with God, he will bless us and we'll be rich beyond our imagination. We also can't say anybody that's rich can't be right with God. I do not know why God did not choose to make me a millionaire. Maybe he will in a few days, I don't know. Maybe I'll win the lottery. You know the problem with me winning the lottery, Brother Greg? I don't buy lottery tickets, so I don't know. I, I, can't, I can't put my hopes in getting rich by winning the lottery because I don't play the lottery, so I don't know. But anyway, we got to understand, Jacob's life was changed 100% completely. He now, his priority was serving God. All right, so we will stop there and pick up next week in chapter 29.